the Brighton Festival Fringe, an eventful Brighton podcast. So I'm absolutely delighted to be sitting here in this uh, wonderful um, Hove residence with the um, actors and crew from the play The King's Face. I have with me Mr. Stephen Young. How are you, Andy? Nice to be here. I'm ex- you know, it always throws me when people say, how are you? Because I, I normally say I have Fred Blogs, and Fred Blogs goes, how are you, Andrew? And I have to th- remember to say, I'm very well, thank you, and then carry on with the interview. <laughs> I'm very well, thank you, Stephen. Uh, we also have... I'm Graham Bow. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Graham. And you play the doctor, don't you? Or, or a surgeon. We'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah. Notice how I'm getting all of them to say their names, because I'm rubbish at remembering names. And also we have... Dave Trosco. Howdy. Hello. You may have noticed there's a slight accent with some of our, our, our friends here from over the pond. Dare I ask, is it Canadian or USA? Uh, USA. USA. So I normally ask uh, people who I think might be Canadian to say about, and if they say about, I assume they're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> the, the about test, <laughs> I call that. <laughs> is that what they say as well? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, right, Stephen, um, you are the director and playwright. Tell us a little bit about this this, this amazing play. Well, it, it's based on a true story when uh, Prince Harry Monmouth uh, uh, led part of the battle at Shrewsbury uh, when his father, Henry IV, was trying to shore up his crown, had uh, uh, was injured fatally. And basically, uh, his dad gave up on him left him for dead. They literally trotted hundreds of surgeons, doctors, barbers, you know, witch doctors, whatever you want to call it, crones, uh, etc., to try to save him. All failed. And as a last result, this, this surgeon named Jonathan Bradmore was brought in and he created a device to actually extract the arrowhead that was uh, uh, within the prince's skull. And we'll, we'll talk to uh, the, the doctor in a minute. Okay. But um, being from a pseudo-medical background, I am intrigued by this play. How, how anatomically correct is it? Oh, I, you know, well, we have a real wound on him when you see it. Uh, it's oh, so very, you make a hole in his face. Oh, absolutely. We, we take what, you know, who, uh, in the United States, you had Jeffrey Dahmer who, mm-hmm. who would take a drill and drill into people's head. Dave has developed a mythical technique mm-hmm. to be able to do that. I'm kidding, of course. Um, no, we have a very realistic scar on him. And uh, uh, I have to tell you, we did some previews in Stamford in Lincolnshire. And when we go to those moments where the, the surgeon actually inserts his finger into the wound or he takes the device and does it, uh, the audience is crawling the walls. They are just... I was going to ask you, actually, is it, is it not for the squeamish? Uh, I think the squeamish will enjoy the story because it's full of history and you are going to learn things about the relationship. It, the the, the, the of the entire story really is the prince's search for a father figure because believe it or not he was actually very estranged from his father Henry IV um, and the man who really raised him was Richard II and uh, uh, who his father usurped the crown from and the story is mainly about the 10 days they spend at Kenilworth Castle and the relationship that develops between the two as he attempts to save his life um, yeah. As far as the squeamish go, I think you'll have moments where you can't bear to look at the stage, and I think you'll have other moments where you're absolutely intrigued by uh, the historical information that's coming out, and the prince learns about sex from the surgeon also. Does he really? It yeah. does sound very much like an oldie-woldy version of ER. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, that's a brilliant way to put it. I, I absolutely love that. I'm going to steal that from now on. So, <laughs> the bits of music in the background, as it gets to an emotional bit, some music comes. No, but they all have affairs constantly right. throughout the show with various people you never see. Um, 
I'd liken it more to Chicago Hope because I live there. I really know the Chicago scene, and uh, I, I like that program better. Okay, let's now turn our attention to uh, Graham, who is playing. What role you play? Is that a doctor or a surgeon? Um, at the time, there was it was quite blurred the distinction, but um, surgeons are mainly concerned with the external condition of the human body. Yeah, so they will do um, they will fix fractures and remove the odd warp from a todger or two. Um, this is all quotes from. Uh, the the Stephen script here so um, whereas your doctors in those days would tend to concern themselves with your moral state and the position of the stars and so on in deciding what sort of unspeakable concoction they would dream up for you um, the surgeon would just look at a broken bone and say well that probably needs a splint and how about I fix that Mm. and they got as far as working out that say using alcohol to clean a wound was quite a good idea it would actually kill a lot of bugs and things Mm. like that so surgery was at least a little bit less airy fairy than as in our own in our terms than just general doctoring which is just amazingly weird Mm. yeah and what sort of preparation did you have to go through to uh, sort of um, be able to act this role I had to read the script an awful lot and then work out what kind of man he was likely to be. Um, yeah, I've done a bit of work in the health service at one time or another, so I've had chance to see people operating and so on and see what kind of stance they take and all that kind of thing. But essentially, it was getting, it was getting Steve to write his script clearly enough that I could understand what on earth it was I was supposed to be doing. Because I know that he won't mind me saying that the first time I had a speech and he sent it over and I said, look, Steve, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing here. So how am I going to convey this to the audience? Um, But we've got through that now. And I think it's very clear what he does. Brilliant. Let's let's now turn our attention to to David. David, you are are playing um, this this prince who is the patient. And um, what's interesting to me is that you have an American accent. Are you going to be doing an English accent for it? Oh, yeah, very much so, yeah. I'll, I've been working for the past six weeks, no, six months, I should say, on getting a proper Etonian English accent going on. Um, even last, uh, I believe the last performance that we did, I had two uh, people come up and ask if I was a local. So it should be fairly decent. So go on, do, do your best British accent then. Uh, I knew he was going to uh, do of that. Of course. I knew that was coming. Of course. So everyone well, we can, now is going to tune in. And- yes, yeah, of course, they'll see and just how terrible it is. Um, That's very we can We can probably uh, finish off the interview in this, if you'd like. <laughs> of course, it's not prepared. It's much easier having read the script and uh, memorising the lines in a certain way and knowing what words to say and what words not to say in a proper pronunciation it's not calf it's cough it's not uh <laughs> it's not shaft it's shaft it's you know all these different things you um dropping the r's in the appropriate places saying bestial instead of bestial all these different <laughs> things and you know they say you know go out in the city and go listen to the people and, and listen to how they they speak but there's so many different versions of, of the english accent it's, it's hard to know what to throw away and yeah. and what to keep so uh, just we also been... make you go constantly. Yeah. When when we arrived, I said, David, I want you in the accent twenty four seven. You know, to to learn it and that it, it just becomes habitual. Mm. 
Yeah, so it was, you know, going to pubs and going to whatnot and trying as best as I could to maintain this dialect. Which is Don't you mean bars? But yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to confuse him there. Honky tonks, bars, you know, that sort of thing. I believe it's called uh, <laughs> saloons, actually. Yeah, that's what we call them down there in Texas. We have saloons in Lewis. Have you heard of Lewis? No, I haven't. No. Well, in Lewis, well, Lewis is a little place just about about um, I don't know seven or ten miles outside of Brighton and it's very very sort of insular and when you go to Lewis if you're an outsider if you're from Brighton when you walk into a bar the piano music stops and everyone looks around at you yeah, and then late later that evening you're sort of being dragged behind a horse with people saying let's wrestle him out of town boys <laughs> that's quite nice actually at home I do uh, cowboy reenactments and do a bunch of wild west type stunt shows and, and gunfights and uh, I've been used to that sort of thick heavy Texas dialogue whenever I act so coming from that and coming here to England and having to put on a proper British dialect and and uh, do this show is quite uh, it's quite a hard thing to do actually well I'm very impressed by your accent but I, I do apologise because I, I did put you on the spot a bit there but let's ask you a sensible question now uh, what's it like playing somebody that's dying with a big hole in their head <laughs> well uh, the actual uh, wound was not uh, affecting his ability to breathe or speak or anything so uh, at the beginning you see the prince in a lot of pain and then he gets up and eventually uh, finds his footing and the builds and whatnot within the script are able to really uh, pack a punch because he is driven into a, a type of mania the wound itself is affecting the way that his medulla oblongata is, mm -hmm. is, is producing the movements and the thoughts that he's doing so his thoughts are very feverish and he uh, makes a 90% Angle, 90 degree change from being a sweet little boy to this ravenous king and and the balance is found somewhere and you're able to see where you know uh, king henry v ends up showing up at the very end of the play how what he ends up being at the end the prince turning him from a boy to a man now graham how does this play tackle the medical aspects of um I was going to say of the play. That's overuse of the word play, but you know what I mean. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, he leads the um, the audience through the whole medical side, so nobody needs to know anything in advance, because at the at the very beginning, he's facing a problem he's never faced before. This arrowhead is buried so deep inside the man's head, you can't get at it, and when you know where it is, you actually can't get pincers around it tongs as he says to pull it out and so he's got to find a way to actually extract the thing and I won't spoil it for your listeners by telling you what what the final solution is but so you're led stage by stage he tries out various things and gradually 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 we get to a solution and that's the the final scene of the play and with any luck the audience will notice that the the actor in the bed is still breathing after I've done my worst. They use explosives, don't they? Very often, yeah. It's quicker. They just shove a stick of dynamite in his face and mm. blow it up. He is from Texas. You know, that's what they do. <laughs> now, just finally, before we wrap up, how, how do, um, back to Steve, how does uh, the character of, now I'm going to show my historical ignorance now, um, the Prince of Monmouth, who later became... Henry V. Henry V. How, how does uh, the depiction in this play differ from, you know, maybe Shakespeare's depiction of him? Well, they really are two different people. 
Um, I, I think Shakespeare was influenced certainly by politics, by the, the reigning power, etc., and what was popular and, and uh, interesting to an audience of his time. Um, uh, you, you see him as Prince Hal, very happy-go-lucky in the Henry IVs, and as Henry V, he's a very decisive man in the, that place, certainly, but they, they really present a softer side to him. And, and, and the thing I really discovered in my research was he's quite a ruthless man. Mm-hmm. Um, he would often knock on the gates, as Shakespeare depicts on Henry V, and say to whatever the French mayor, if you let me in, I will spare everyone. He actually did that, and then he would go inside and put everyone to the sword, you know, so, um, which is a much different depiction than, than Shakespeare. Also, one of the things I discovered was he was tremendously religious. He would often pray sometimes 12 times a day, and a single prayer could last an hour. And that's something we really bring to bear in the show, is the, the religiosity that, that he, he, he embraces because it's very important. Um, he feels that because, I don't want to give the ending away, because of something he did, God is punishing him and God has abandoned him. And, uh, um, uh, uh, well, you'll have to come see the play to find out the answer to all of that. But you're going to see a much different figure. You're going to see a triumphant and a noble figure, um, but how he arrived at that is much different than Shakespeare's version of history. Brilliant. And let's, uh, thank you so much. Let's just um, remind ourselves uh, when the play starts, where it is, etc., etc. I've really (laughs) really put them on the spot there. They're They're all frantically scrambling for, in fact, I've got it right in front of me, the program here. Um, uh, We are playing in Brighton as part of the Fringe Festival, and we are at the Iambic uh, Arts Theatre on Regent Street in Brighton. Uh, We play the 22nd of May through the 29th of May. So uh, we hope to see you. Um, The shows are divided equally between matinees and evening performances. So uh, come come early and come often. I, for one, will definitely... Are you going to be there, Sarah? Yeah, she's nodding. Sorry, the nodding doesn't work very well on audio. <laughs> audio <laughs> never mind. Uh, well, well, we're certainly going to be. We'd love to be there. And, uh, so thank you very, very much for talking to us. Uh, so that's um, uh, Stephen Young. And he, as he quickly looks at the programme, because his memory of, of names is absolutely Graham brilliant. Graham Rowe, uh, Graham Rowe and uh, David Trusco. Thanks, guys, very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hot, hot night, I was scared. Thanks for listening to the Brighton Festival Fringe podcast. Please visit the website for the show at eventfulbrighton.org. Subscribe on iTunes to search for Brighton Festival Fringe podcast. Visit the Fringe website at www.brightonfestivalfringe.org.uk. The music is by We Are Swift at www.myspace.com slash weareswift. And the podcast is produced by Wireworld Media at www.wireworldmedia.co.uk. Thanks for listening.